0: Welcome back to another episode of the Bootstrapped Experience podcast, where Jack and I talk about our lives building Shopify apps, and outside of Shopify as well. Welcome back, Jack. Good to see you. Hey, thanks. Good to see you too. This week, we're actually able to see each other. Last week, we were on a bad internet connection, so it's quite nice (laughs) to be able to see each other. It's easier to talk when you can get some visual hints as well, which is nice. Yeah,
1: maybe someday we'll do a video podcast.
0: Yeah, I fear the amount of production that would be needed for it, though. Agreed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think we should just stick to how we're doing it at the moment, but do you have a good week?
1: Yeah, yeah. Busy, big news, new microphone. So hopefully I will sound decent. I'm very excited about that. Other than that, yeah, this week was actually nice. So things were a little calmer, meaning that I got to spend a lot of time working on Translate CI, which was really cool. It's really like done. I would say the last thing I have to do, it's about a day's worth of work, just to get the billing totally working cuz this app has all sorts of usage charges and
0: yeah right. things like
1: that so like just getting that 100% is maybe another days worth of work and then it's uh ready to launch which is pretty cool oh
0: wow yeah nice are you using stripe yeah. for billing on that
1: i am yeah and it's my first time using them really nice like i actually ended up pretty much using they have this like uh portal you can pretty much plug into an application It just takes the user to Stripe.com where they can administer everything with their account. It's awesome.
0: That's nice. Yeah, so it's it's like an embeddable billing section.
1: Yeah, so for like an MVP type thing, like I know at some point I want to make that a little better, but for an MVP type thing, it's fantastic just to get something out there and working.
0: Yeah, I think that's what Stripe's always been great at, right? Getting you from zero to one in no time.
1: Yeah, I have to say, so I was looking this morning Shopify has been publishing all these articles about app trends in the store, future predictions, all this sort of thing. And I discovered in one of them that Shopify now has a translation API, which I had no idea about. And oh, it's right. incredible. Have you
0: seen this? Yeah, that's what I was building on my now in the graveyard app that I was using for translations. Yeah. I was originally on the beta, I guess. And then by the time I was sort of getting done, it was much better than when I started. And maybe that was part of my frustration. But yeah, it's amazing. It's really good.
1: Yeah, I'm trying not to carve out more work for myself because I tend to do that. But, man, Translate CI as a Shopify app for stores, pretty interesting, I think.
0: I think it would be perfect. Yeah, the cool part is that Shopify becomes sort of the store of the translations, right? So you can, in essence, pull out one translation app and plug in another. So it's all about making it easy or getting into somebody's workflow, I guess. And I think especially with the way you're doing it, maybe it would work really well with like theme development workflows in a sense, where they maybe are using like GitHub or a more developer-oriented workflow. Most of the other apps, they're just like a UI on top of Shopify's API where you can then translate stuff into Shopify. But I think the unique part about what you're doing is that it, it's much more developer-focused in a sense.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely some interesting possibilities there. I got to look into it a bit more. That is one thing I wish Shopify was a little more like, developer-friendly as far as their theme development goes. And maybe I'm missing something, but like, I haven't really found a good way. Maybe you have of like versioning themes and like inside Shopify, or you just have to use GitHub and deploy that way.
0: Yeah, I used their theme tool a while back and I haven't done a lot of theme development but I do run my websites on Shopify so my homepage forsbergplus2.com is a Shopify store which I've just sort of hacked away to turn into a normal website instead of a store and as such and there I was using I guess GitHub on my side but then I was syncing it to Shopify using their theme synchronization tool I can't remember what the exact name is but it's like a CLI tool that you use to sync up
1: yeah I've used that a little bit before and it was pretty nice yeah it would be nice like I just know like when I work on stores there's always just this sort of list of all the theme copies with totally unintelligible names copy of this copy of that and it's really easy to get lost there.
0: Yeah definitely. And we're not great at naming things right? You end up with a file called final final really final right. file. <laughs> so I think yeah forcing that process in the sense where you could use GitHub or a GitHub like flow a git flow I guess would be awesome. But yeah, I haven't seen any much tooling around it coming out lately. And maybe I'm just out of the loop, but they did something a few years back, but I haven't really seen much since then.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. It just seems like if you, and I'm not always good about this, but if you keep on top of what Shopify is releasing, there's always so many new app ideas out there, especially when you're working on AppKit. Like that'll be huge for being able to jump on those opportunities when they come up. I've definitely seen new api releases and things like that where i'm like oh my god this would make an amazing app i could do this and then it's just yeah but i i can't spare 3 months right now to actually build this out
0: yeah and i think that's the the whole reason i'm building the app kit in the end is to be able to jump on opportunities and also just to make my life easier You know, I don't have to update it at five different places. I can do it one place. Or if I do it in the right way to begin with, then I only have to sort of build it once, and it will work in all of my apps. So I can easily add this one feature to, like translations, for example, would be awesome to be able to add to all of my apps at the same time. Sure. Um,
1: Yeah, that's one thing I've been thinking about a little bit lately. Is just like, how does someone new start on Shopify? Like, it seems like there's so many different apps. There's so many sort of duplicate or close to duplicate apps. And I'm just like, I was just thinking like, we've been on Shopify, you longer than me, but both of us like pretty early on for them. And I'm wondering how, like, what do you think about like, how do new people get seen on the Shopify app store? How do they find sort of new ideas or improvements to existing ideas? What advice would you give someone like just starting out?
0: Yeah, I think that's a super hard question. It's a great question, right? Like, because, It's such a long time since I was a newcomer to the App Store in a sense. So so now if I'm launching an app, I'm in a pretty privileged sort of place where I have a pretty large user base I can start, sort of kickstart a new app to. But I think my main thoughts around it is to to go for building apps that I think Shopify themselves should build or build into the core product. So a large enough space where there's going to be customers um, or a lot of customers looking for it. And A feature that most people sort of understand, like not going too niche in a sense, and trying to tackle some of the core problems that people don't get from the main Shopify app or the Shopify admin, I guess you could say. So I think it's, yeah. And the reason I sort of say that is because I haven't yet seen Shopify release a feature that's killed like completely a category or something like that. Generally, when they launch something that competes with a category, there's always enough space and enough extra features that people need within that space that they can continue to thrive. Like If you look at uh, local delivery and pickup, which has been huge here in, in COVID times, Shopify released their own version, a free feature that's part of the Shopify admin, and still the, the existing pickup and delivery apps have done really well, if not just as well as before. So I think those are the kind of problems that I look for. Going for something I should feel that Shopify have should include themselves and not going too niche on it. But then yeah, how do you go about that? Do you need to use Polaris? I think using like something like Polaris is easier because a lot of the hard sort of UX decisions have been made for you. So making your app UI as easy as possible for somebody new to learn and use. I think that's the bonus of using Polaris. It's not that you have to use it, but I think it can help you or save yourself from some of the UX problems that you're going to run into. And it's a lot easier to build on something where other people have done the research beforehand than to try and come up with a whole new way of designing this app. And then yeah, once you've got the app, like how do you get known? I think one thing is to try and do things like having your app in multiple languages. I think is a good way to get sort of featured in country categories, for example, like if you've translated your app to Danish, you're going to be featured in the collection for Danish users. So, anybody Danish that goes to the app store has a collection that says, What apps are popular in Denmark? And if your app's translated, you're going to turn up there. Same for like Germany and, and this type of thing. And you only see the, those categories if you're in that country. But I found right. those really good categories to get into. Other than that, it's just really going for like reviews, giving like I talked about before, but giving like a good, generous beta where you're really asking for feedback. Versus you're either giving it the app for free to these users or at a really discounted rate. It's a huge topic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, most of what I'm saying is more theoretical now than actually knowing, right? It's some of the things that I've done that have been very, that have had a a good boost to both my existing apps and and new apps that I've put out. I guess is the best way to put it. But yeah, it's hard for me to say exactly what to do as a new person because it's been a long time since I've done it.
1: Yeah, I think kind of what I've been noticing lately. That I would kind of advise anyone to do is really like get tuned into what Shopify themselves are doing. Cause it seems like they go through phases where they have features they want and apps they want. And if you can build something almost for Shopify along with their users, like they're going to give you a big boost. Like I noticed when they did some checkout changes recently, like all of a sudden, Every store was featuring their apps like in the admin, new apps with zero reviews and stuff, but they just had the features that Shopify wanted. So they're really pushing these. See, I mean, they always talk about validation and talking to customers and things like that. And that's super important. But with Shopify specifically, I think you really need to, you're probably not going to get to talk to their employees unless you have some sort of in, but you can actually get a sense of what they're looking for just by keeping up with their blogs and the community forums and things like that. And I think that can be super valuable for a new person.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. And also looking at, uh, they had the Commerce Awards here, here recently. And it was the same when I entered them in 2017 and 18. They were basically, the app categories was around what they wanted to see more apps of, or new features that they'd launched that they wanted to see apps built around. And like you're saying, they talk about certain features at certain times, and I think the awards, how would you say, categories, like highlight what they're really after at the moment. So I think that's another great place to look for ideas or areas where you could get something. But again, you've got to be a pretty fast mover as well, because as Shopify is putting focus on these things, then that's when, within a few weeks, they're going to be highlighting apps.
1: Yeah, it does seem like there's a short window.
0: Yeah, and it's generally because they've been working with certain partners to in the beta, right? So somebody's been working on this in the beta and then when they launch it out to the to the public or to general availability, then they'll do a big sort of marketing push around it as well. So but there's definitely space around if you're fast, then you can get in on that trend, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah. The other thing I think is kind of you touched on and I think is super important is to not niche down too far into Shopify. I think that was kind of one of the big mistakes I made. I didn't quite realize it when I was developing need A-B testing, but you need a lot of traffic to run successful A-B tests. It's not like a widget that sits on your storefront or anything like that. So I'm essentially cutting off a lot of sort of new Shopify users and people that are just getting started and maybe don't have a successful store yet. I mean, Shopify is a really big, platform, they've got tons of users, but you don't necessarily, I would think if you're just getting started, don't cut off a significant portion of those users if you can help it. I actually just saw an app this week I loved. I can't think of what it's called, but we can put it in the show notes. Someone just launched and it's a really nicely designed, animated, free shipping progress bar that just appears, I think it's like sticky to the bottom of the website, Okay. And other, there may well be other apps out there that do this, but this was just really nicely designed. It fit into pretty much any theme you could use. It was cheap, and I'm like, that's brilliant, because I feel like just any store, no matter the size, could make good use of this app,
0: and I thought it was really cool. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, I guess it's a couple of months ago, and I think maybe it's the same app, but they got quite, I think they won, I was a judge on a Shopify hackathon in Germany, and one of the winners was a shipping bar that had really good, cool design. And they also work with the Ajax cart, which a lot of them don't work great with. So maybe it's the same app, but let's find out yeah, which it one be. that is. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I think I definitely agree. It's hard though, right? Because the problems that most merchants are going to have sometimes are the tougher problems to solve as well, right? Like building an email marketing platform is not the easiest thing in the world to do. So I think, yeah... It, I, I've always tried to find things where it strikes a nice balance between how much effort it takes and the size of the market within the Shopify space. But yeah, I think finding ideas is a hard part. I've never been like super passionate about like invoicing and picking and packing and and all that type of stuff. So I've never sort of tried to say the advice of you need to find something that you're passionate about. I'm passionate about building cool apps and giving great support and. The entire entrepreneurial journey, but I've never been super passionate about the, how would you say, the space that I'm getting into in some of these apps. And I don't think, at least for myself, that hasn't been like a big part or something that I've found super important in a sense. I guess some people, you need to have some motivation around continuing to work on these products after, you know, in my case, almost 10 years, right? But I think the whole build what you're passionate about is a bit overrated.
1: Yeah, I agree totally. Well, and the thing is too like as an engineer, I'm sure you probably get more passionate about invoicing like now at this point you know all the challenges around it. it, you live it day in and day out. And now even though invoicing sounds pretty boring when you're first thinking about doing something with it, like now you're probably into it more. I mean, I know I am with AB testing, like that statistics stuff, like I'm all about now, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think you sort of forget the amount of knowledge you've built up over the time that you've had this app as well, or at least I do. So when people come and say, oh yeah, I can't find anything to solve this problem, it's like, well, hey, we can fix that with one line of custom liquid code in your template and then you're done. <laughs> you know, And it's, yeah. it's, it's a really nice feeling to be able to do that and help people out in a sense where maybe they've gone to three different apps and haven't been able to do it and then you can solve it just by, by having seen it during my 10 years of doing this.
1: So that's something I've kind of been thinking more about lately and I've been kind of productizing that knowledge of built up around A-B testing for Shopify. So I've been offering essentially like a done-for-you conversionary optimization service for the last few months and that's been really interesting because I I realize A-B testing has such a steep learning curve and a lot of these guys, they want the benefits but they don't want to have to read a textbook on statistics. So yeah, I think that's been really good just sort of marketing and productizing like that specific knowledge around it and offering it as an add-on. That's been super useful.
0: Okay. Are you going to continue doing that like as you roll out Translate CI and, and more apps and stuff? Or is that something you'd be looking to build out into a separate sort of part of your business?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so it does take a lot of my time and I've kind of been thinking about Are there pieces of this I can hire out? How much requires just me? And I don't know. That's a good question. I think I could. So I've been offering light development services with it, like setting up if they want to do visual changes to their product page, for example. I've just been going in and making those changes for the people I've been doing this with. That part I could probably hire out, and that might be the majority of the time. I'm not sure. But there's definitely a bottleneck that's me, and I have to figure out if I'm going to keep going forward with it.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the danger with those types of businesses, right? Because at some point you're gonna be maxed out. And fair enough, you can charge more, but you can never have more hours in a day, right? So you can maybe have one per day per month sort of thing. So you've got maximum of 30 clients or something, or 20 clients if you don't work weekends. But Yeah, I got
1: into this not to work a 40 hour week if I can help it. So Yeah <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> wanna make all this extra work for myself.
0: Exactly. And and I think no matter how good these ideas are or if they can't scale in the same sense as now we are in the software business it just seems like there must be better opportunities to find something you know maybe you could do a course where you can teach people to do this for themselves yeah and i guess you do it until you don't think it's that interesting anymore or you don't have time for it right yeah
1: i think i'm approaching that point now so it's time to figure out what i'm going to do going forward with that
0: yeah cool yeah so translate ci what do you um You've got the payments pretty much done, or you just got to finish that, and then you've got some beta testers already ready to go. Is there any other blockers on that before you can really uh, get, no. get into it? No, just the big
1: scary beast of marketing. Once I actually release it into the wild, but yeah, no, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be a good learning experience, if nothing else.
0: Yeah, I think marketing is also that we we're just talking about hiring somebody else to do. Some of these parts where you just wish you could give it to somebody else and they do it well. I think marketing, I have that same feeling about it. I want to get excited about it because I can see potential in it, but I just can't. <laughs> it's, it doesn't come naturally to me.
1: I feel like for hiring out for marketing, though, like and the reason I haven't done it up until now is I feel like I should have a reasonable basis in what they're doing. So, like, I should kind of like know, like, okay, well, if they do this, this is going to work. And I don't feel like I have that foundation that I'm ready to hire out for it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I think that's super true. Like, You can easily burn a lot of money as well, right? By thinking somebody knows what they're doing without being able to sort of sanity check some of what they're doing as well.
1: Right. Yeah. And I don't feel like I even have the ability to sanity check some of the stuff I've looked at before.
0: Yeah, totally. Not me either. This whole sanity checking and everything, it's Something that I've been now that I'm working together with somebody else on development as well, it's been really good to have somebody sort of sanity checking what I'm doing and and me sanity checking what they're doing. And I think in a collaborative environment, the final result does become a lot better because we both have a certain base level of knowledge where we can sort of contribute different things here. And we're working on the Polaris components for our app kit at the moment, and just sort of looking at the different ways that those components can be built and what the structure should be and and maybe it takes more time here in the beginning to sort of find the right how to build out each of these components. But being able to sort of you know, see it from different sides and to discuss it and everything like that from a base of some experience looking at these type of things, it's, it's been really valuable and, and something we'll be doing a lot of this week as well.
1: That's nice. Yeah. I tend to code myself into a corner pretty often, so it would definitely be nice to have someone to bounce some of these ill-conceived ideas off of in the beginning.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's especially in the beginning because once you find this is how we want to do these components, then I think it's going to be a lot faster to sort of get them done and get them done correctly. But it's really around sort of what's the best way to tackle this problem because yeah, I have a tendency sometimes maybe to go a little too fast and not sort of refactor enough. And then on the other hand, you don't want to go too slow and spend too much time on things that don't add value in a sense. So it's finding that nice balance, I think, has been interesting.
1: So that's been a really nice thing about having to delay Translate CI is that I've basically had time to go in and refactor stuff, write tests for everything. Like This is definitely the nicest piece of software I've ever written, which is only because I've had... Like inadvertently had some extra time. If I hadn't had that sort of enforced on me, yeah, I would have gone out sloppy code or whatever. But it, it is really nice having that in there now.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, as people that write code, I think it, it's a nice feeling to sort of be kind of proud of, at least have more confidence in what you're putting out. But at the end of the day, I always look at it as well, that no matter how good or bad the code is on the back end, that's not going to be what determines the success of the product. Right. Because yeah, as long as it's not like breaking and there's not tons of bugs, but whether you've struck things correctly or whatever, or it just does this the same thing, just in a slightly more messy way, that's not going to be seen by the customer as such, right?
1: Yeah. I never worried about it too much. Although there's a video learning platform called LaraCast that is specifically for Laravel developers where they go over not just like Laravel specific things, but a lot of times like coding best practices, testing, all this sort of stuff. So I've just learned a ton from them over the last few years and uh, have kind of tried to incorporate some of those learnings more into this project. It's funny, like we were mentioning before about being passionate about what you're working on and things like that. Like I, I got to say, like I didn't care too much about translations when I started as I just saw a need and now I'm totally into it like all this different internationalization and localization stuff super interesting and I think that's like a nice thing just about having that engineer mindset is once you go deep into something there's usually some pretty interesting nuances there
0: yeah Things are more complicated than they look from the surface. Is usually what I find out, <laughs> especially with translations. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, like every project I start, my, my wife always makes fun of me because I say, "Oh, this is easy. I'm going to have this out in three days. I can't believe how easy this is going to be." And then three months later, there's always like some sticking points you don't foresee that make it really interesting.
0: Definitely. I had the same issue when I was doing my old emails app and trying to get it working on like mobile or at least getting a good editor experience on mobile. And it was just like one silly little thing. It took me like two weeks to solve. It was like around scrolling behavior and updating part of the email or part of an iframe without having it reset the scroll position to like the top of the page or something. And something that you have this, ah no, I'm done in like a week or whatever with everything. And then two weeks later, you're still working on the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm terrible at estimating things like that.
1: So like that particular feature, do you ever consider, and I don't know if this was before or after your product was actually out, but do you consider just scrapping it? Because that's one thing I struggle with sometimes is I'll bang my head against the wall for a week on something and then realize, hey, you know what? I'm trying to make an MVP here. I really don't need this and let's come back to it later. But I tend to delay and lose a lot of time first before that realization sort of hits me.
0: Yeah, I think on the first version of my app, I try and cut down enough that what I have left is like super critical. So and yeah, there's maybe different ways to do things, but I don't think I'd remove a feature because it annoyed me. I'm too stubborn for that. <laughs> and then for this particular problem, it was a how would you say, like a redesign of the app. So the first version of the app was was based around an old Shopify theme editor experience. And then Shopify came out with a new theme editor where you could drag and drop sections and move stuff around. And so I wanted to mimic that same behavior. And because I was, how to say, I had the app, it was already live, it was making money. But because I wanted to do it as sort of an upgrade, I felt, especially on mobile, and Shopify's theme editor worked nicely on mobile in a sense. So I just, I think I felt it can be done. So why give up? I just need to find out why it's not working. And if that takes me two weeks, then it takes me two weeks yeah i'm I'm stupidly stubborn sometimes, I think that's a good thing
1: though yeah, I've had this thing going on with translate c i where I keep having to tell myself like the only thing this needs to do is translate stuff and let them pay me for the translations, and like if it's anything else, I need to not be working on this, and it's amazing how many features you can cut out
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And- going back to what we were talking about earlier about what's when you're first going to launch an app and what ideas and how would you go about launching it i think working out what the true sort of must-haves for your app are and sticking to those is definitely one of the best pieces of advice you can you can get right
1: for sure yeah i think the one thing to be careful with on shopify a little bit is that you see this advice for Like indie hackers and bootstrappers and people like that are just like it doesn't matter if it sucks and barely works, just put it out there at least you can validate. That's cool if you're showing it to like a couple people and just trying to get feedback. But like Shopify is a little different. Like it needs to be somewhat polished. And that's well, one, I think it's because the review process has gotten harder, so you might not even be able to launch it if it's not reasonably polished. But two, if you do make it past them, a bad review in the beginning is going to kill you. I think I don't really know if you could. Recover if you got, say, one to three bad reviews in your first week. Like, I don't know if you'd ever really get users after that. So, I think it's something to be really careful about.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think, um, yeah, I think on Shopify, you do need to launch a more polished product. And yeah, that is largely because of the user reviews that you could be getting. I think, especially in the start, you need to come out with something where people are sort of excited to be using it or. You give them an experience that makes them say, hey, I want to support this little new app and give it a good review, right? And you kind of need to do something pretty bad to get negative reviews, or at least you need to have enough reviews that you get the random negative one, right? But if you get like three bad reviews in a row, something's wrong. That's not normal. And so that may be because your app is either not working like it should, or it's not polished enough, or it's not solving the issue that you're selling it. You basically put an app out there and you say, "Hey, it solves this particular problem, and some people might market them heavily to say it does more than what it really does, right and I think keeping it saying what it does and doing that exact thing is the best thing and trying to do it as polished as possible from the start.
1: yeah, I think that I mean I definitely suffered from that MVP problem a little bit, putting out something a little sloppier than I should have It kind of had some like uX issues when needy be testing launched and First review I got was just a scathing one-star review. That was like day two or something like that of the app having launched. And it was because the UX wasn't like the app worked. Everything was functional, but basically there's a feature that the UX wasn't clear and it did something that scared the shop owner <laughs> essentially, <laughs> because it wasn't they weren't clear on what was going to happen like when they clicked this button. And that was my fault for not having a good UI UX around there. And yeah, it was definitely concerning. Like, oh god, like, is this just over now? Do I try to relaunch it under a different name? Like, what do I do? Because like I was getting like a steady stream of installs up to that point too, and it just dropped to zero immediately after getting that review. Because I had one review and it was you know one star.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes you wish merchants would how would you say think a little bit more like obviously they're frustrated when they give a negative review but i don't think they always sort of consider the impact that that can have they see thousands of apps in there and they can just go pick another app that does something similar right but somebody has worked for months on this particular thing to try and bring it to fruition and and leaving a negative review as the first one is is as you say putting a, a nail in the coffin for some people
1: for sure yeah i mean i i definitely think it could have been it's kind of thankfully i've bounced back from that but yeah, I mean, I had to reach out to the person and really work with them for a little while and kind of, it was actually really good. It improved the app quite a bit in the end. But to sort of get it clear, like what was going on, they were more comfortable with it. And then they ended up removing their review. But okay. Yeah, it was, that was lucky because I think if that hadn't happened, yeah, I probably wouldn't be here today, you know?
0: Yeah, right. It's amazing what small things can happen, right? But I, I guess you sort of attacked the problem in the right way in taking, contact to that person and seeing what was actually wrong and then working hard to sort of rectify it or at least to inform them about how it did work or what they should expect.
1: Yeah, it's funny too like your your pain tolerance goes up so much as you do this stuff. I mean, I know when I started, like I didn't want to talk to anyone, didn't want to deal with customers really, it kind of like freaked me out a little bit and then to get that one star review, I'm just like, oh god, I could not sleep that night, everything and now it's you know, it's it's business and whatever, and you deal with it, and it's <laughs> uh, you definitely do raise your pain threshold as you go along doing this kind of thing.
0: Definitely, yeah. I don't get too worried about one star reviews anymore because we get enough good reviews that it, you know in the end it sort of all evens out. But that whole incident thing that sort of woke me up pretty,
1: <laughs> pretty sure. quickly. Getting an app
0: yanked from the app store and and told that I was leaking. Customer information or something like that is like, oh, oh no, okay, yes, I, I know, I remember that feeling of not being able to sleep and all this type of thing. But luckily, it worked out. Yeah, it been a while. Long. Yeah, exactly. But I prefer to live without that feeling, I think. Because, <laughs> Agreed. <yeah. laughs> we actually had some cool questions from Twitter as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, so one of them's transitioning, like, how would you go? I guess the question was we talked about earlier episode about how having a free app is a great way to sort of bring on a lot of users or a freemium model or whatever. And the question is, how would you transition a free app to a paid app if you've sort of gone out? And I'm not sure if you have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I've
1: definitely thought about this before. I think that, I mean, you should definitely go in with a plan to make it a paid app like pretty quickly So if I was going to release a free app that I intended to make paid, I would probably essentially have a couple of goals I want to hit before it goes to paid. So those would probably be to generate 10 reviews because that's enough to sort of rank on the app store and possibly get featured on the homepage, everything like that. And probably put a cap of number of users. So I wouldn't want to have 5,000 free users before I tried to go paid because you might well have reached a lot of the people you're going to reach and your hosting costs might be getting out of control, all that. But yeah, I think that you could also use it as sort of a marketing tool in the beginning. You can even just say right away, hey, this is a beta, it's going to be free for the first month or two months or whatever, and then it's going to be paid, so better get it now. Grandfather those free people in. But yeah, I think essentially at some point you just you put a price on it and go with it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I think your last point there about sort of letting people know up front that this is a special deal, you know, like either this is a beta or you get 6 months of free for this and then after that you need to start paying or something like that. That's at least what I did in a sense. Once I was going to transition an app, it originally started as completely free and then because of hosting costs and also I wanted to sort of there's a longer story behind it, but I was basically adding a bunch of features to an existing app. And with that change, I wanted to make it into a paid app at the same time. But then I also gave like a six-month warning, sort of saying, hey, this app is currently free and it will continue to be free for the next six months. But then at that point, this will be the pricing and so forth. And I was sort of expecting more kickback, I guess. I think if you're starting out from the beginning and you're, you're launching a new app and your plan is to go from free to paid, then you should be upfront about it from the start. But in my case... I had a free app for, I think it was like two or three years, and then I turned it into a paid app. And there, I think the key was to to give a really long lead time so people that didn't want to start paying for this, they had enough time to go find an alternative and received enough updates about this process. So send them an email at six months, send them at three months, send them at one month, and then maybe at like two weeks out. So that they have, you know even if they miss the first email, they've got enough time to sort of, see that there's time to find an alternative if they don't like this. And yeah, I was expecting a lot more pushback than I actually got on it. And I'd say like over 50, 60% converted, in a sense, from free to paid. And it was a cheap app, $10 a month sort of thing. And a lot of them would stay on a free tier because of the amount of usage and so forth that they have. But yeah, I didn't get a single negative review out of it, which was quite surprising actually. And that was like 13,000 users or something. That I basically said to them, "Hey, this app's been free for a long time now, and we're going to have to turn it into a paid product after six months from now."
1: That's impressive. No bad reviews.
0: Yeah, and I was was fearful of that whole process, but I think that's also maybe why I put such a long lead time on it. Like maybe three months is enough, but I put six months on there just to sort of ease my own guilt or Mm -hmm. conscience, in a sense.
1: Yeah, I wonder if you could do that. Like if you're planning on if you're planning on transitioning to paid right in the beginning. I mean, you could just do something like set a three month free trial and just market that heavily. Like, hey, we are turning into a paid app, everyone's gonna have to pay. But if you start now, you get three free months or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I've seen some people do good like referral marketing or affiliate marketing around that as well. So saying, Hey, if if you promote our app to your clients, so so maybe an agency gets an offer to say, Hey, if you wanna maybe you're recommending our app anyway, but if you start recommending it, or at least we'll give you a special six-month discount that you can give out where a normal free trial might be like a month, whereas in this case, it might be six months or whatever. Now, I've seen people go pretty quick like that. But yeah, like you were saying, if you're starting out with the intention of launching free to then turn it into a paid shortly after, I'd definitely be upfront about it and maybe just put, like, a, like you said, a, a really long trial on it.
1: But I think it's a good thing to do. If I were to launch a new app in the App Store, I would strongly consider starting it out as free and moving to paid. Just because it's a lot harder to generate reviews on paid apps. I think there's this sort of reciprocity thing going if it's a free app where you say, hey, you're getting this for free, would you just mind writing two sentences? And people are much happier to do that if it's not something they're paying for. So generating those reviews is super important in the beginning, and I think that's a great way to do it.
0: Yeah, definitely, totally agree. And just when a, how would you say, a service announcement is that uh, never ask for positive reviews. So just ask for a review. You're not allowed to say, hey, give us a five star right. review against Shopify's terms. And people have lost a lot right. of reviews by being caught doing things like that. So make sure that you're just asking for a review and not a positive review. Obviously, you wouldn't be asking for negative reviews generally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I totally agree. I like the idea of having a free plan in a sense, and making that free plan large enough to accommodate a lot of new Shopify merchants. So merchants that are just starting out, if you can have a plan that nicely fits them, and then there's a threshold where the people just starting out at those then convert into people that are actually running a business on Shopify, right? And there's a ceiling there somewhere where you go from one to the other. And if you can find that place and then put your sort of limit for where you need to go from free to a paid plan in your app, I think that's really useful as well because you're going to get a lot of traction and a lot of installs and a lot of reviews by doing it that way. And then the merchants that do become large enough, they might naturally grow from just starting out to being a larger merchant. And then there's a a natural conversion taking place there as well.
1: For sure. And I always liked that with the tiers. So I have tiers based on number of orders and one thing I think that helped my churn a bit is just sort of that messaging around, we'll grow with you. So their grandfathered in, if they start at the bottom of plan and now all of a sudden they're doing 10 million orders a month, they're still going to pay that bottom plan price. So I think that's yeah, important to do.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think we're starting to run out of time for this episode. Cool. Yeah, we'll save some of the other questions for next week. What are your plans then for the, for the rest of the week?
1: Pandemic life, I guess. Hang out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> working on Translate CI.
0: Yeah, there you go. Our kids are back at school this week. So it's been amazing. Oh, nice. To, yeah, to have quiet around the house or just sort of uninterrupted time to get it stuck into things. And we've been, my wife's going to be starting to work for the company here at the end of February, beginning of March. But we need to do our end of year bookkeeping for 2020. So we've been doing that this week, which oh, is nice. not super exciting, but it's been fun to work together and, and get. How it would be like once we're both working uh, around the same thing and kids are at school, and it's uh, it's quite nice. I'm looking forward to summer anyway.
1: Yeah, that sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, it's been nice. But yeah, what else am I going to be doing? I'm going to be partner metrics has been cool. It's um the change that we made where it pulls in automatically the stuff from the partner API has been really well received. I'm seeing a lot more people sort of using it now. I think. But yeah, we ran into it, or at least. The hard part is you only have your own data to test on, in a sense. So there's obviously some users running into a couple of issues where we've now found out what they are. And some is because I expected you only need the permissions for financial data, and then if you have app revenue, you need apps. But some people obviously sell themes as well, so then we need the themes permissions. But it's, yeah, so partner metrics have been taking quite a bit of my time this week, but um, it's nice though because it's it feels like you're doing a good deed, in a sense, by helping out. <laughs> That's good. i have been hoping that dies down again because uh, I don't want to be working too much on partner metrics.
1: Is it still open source? Could you uh, invite other people to improve it where it needs it?
0: Yeah, and it's been something I've been considering because it started out as an open source project. And then when I turned it into a hosted platform, I sort of stopped having it as an open source. And I can't remember the, the reason behind it, but I think it was more partner metrics was something I built when I was just starting out. And I think it's more out of embarrassment for the code quality <laughs> than anything else. Fair enough. But I think now it's, it's at a place where other people could jump in there and, and help out. So there's nothing really stopping us from releasing it open source. But the only other thing is it'd be nice to be able to turn it into some type of paid a revenue stream of some sort. So I don't want to have people, I would you say, pay for the product. And I don't want to, I would never sell or use the data that people are uploading it. One of the sort of final ways that we could actually make some money on it would be to, you know, have like an introduction service to acquisition companies. There's a quite a few companies out there that that are looking for apps to buy, and they have some type of referral agreement or referral program or whatever. So if we can make those type of intros, that's quite interesting. And I don't want to give that away too much, but yeah, I think I don't know. The less time it takes me, the better. And I think once you release something as open source as well, you need to review other people's PRs. You need to look at issues. You need to, you know, it becomes more of a formal process. Whereas now it's like, hey, no, I've put up a free product and you're welcome to use it. And yes, of course, I'll answer emails and stuff, but it's not going to be something that I put regular time into if it works correctly like it does right now. Right.
1: That makes sense. It'd be cool to have some sort of like anonymized view on there that like, if you are putting your company up for sale or something like that, you could let people, acquirers, browse that, these anonymized profiles or whatever and reach out to people?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think we've sort of been thinking, I was talking with Daniel Sim, who helped me on um, doing the partner API on it, and sort of thinking about what's the right way to do it. And I also sent out sort of a, a small survey to the users of it, asking, hey, what would they be comfortable with and what do they see the process should be and so forth if, if they were going to be sharing their data and I think a lot of it was the feedback that we received at least was that they don't want it sort of that anyone can look at it and write to them and ask them questions and stuff because these acquisition processes can take, suck up a lot of your time and energy and it can distract you from what your main business is quite a bit. So I think making sure that any inquiries or you know connecting people at the right time with the right people or right companies would be the right, is kind of what we're aiming for.
1: Yeah, I guess you want to qualify the buyers in some way.
0: Yeah, and obviously the buyers want to qualify the sellers in some way as well. So it's a matter of finding a, a nice happy medium where those two are happy to meet and we don't have to do a lot more and we don't need to look at data or anything else ourselves. So yeah, I think that's the long-term process for it anyway. Cool. Yeah. Not sure if you have anything else or we should leave it there.
1: No, I think that's uh, it for me.
0: All right, sounds good, man. Thanks again and uh, I'll talk to you next week. All right, see ya.